Part 1 A Professional Amateur Remember those days, I'd start to say to Amy, my wife, when I was feeling particularly old and melancholy. Remember when we decided one night we wanted to go to Paris, and the next day we were on a plane? Remember when we stayed out all night and you broke your heel and we ate breakfast at that diner in the West Village? How many times did we do that? Remember when we lived in that $500 studio in Williamsburg with views of the city and we thought we had it made? In our 20s, we'd bounced around from apartment to apartment. We'd go abroad at least three times a year, sometimes for Amy's work, she's a contemporary art curator, other times for my freelance writing. My wanderlust had been born out of my largely sedentary childhood. I had grown up in a rigorously normal town of about 30,000 in upstate New York. We didn't travel much, except for a family vacation every July when my brother, my parents, and I climbed into a Ford station wagon and drove to a beach in Delaware. There was a lake in my town, but with little horizon. The hills had no real vistas, and planes flew past overhead at 30,000 feet. Amy liked to joke that if it hadn't been for her coaxing me into our first trip to Europe together when we were twenty, I would have never left the States. We didn't have much to worry about then. We made enough to get by. Now there was little time, or money. I still traveled as a writer, stringing along interesting assignments, a couple weeks in Iran, where I hunted down rogue military shipments, another couple weeks in the Balkans to search out diamond thieves, and more in Russia chasing down mobsters. But those trips never lasted long enough for me to feel as if I was fully inhabiting another world, living out another life. The assignments provided only an approximation of a sustained adventure. By the time the stories came out in the magazines, I was already back to folding laundry and changing diapers. Amy and I had been married for six years and had just moved with our three-year-old daughter, Skye, from the frantic crush of Manhattan to sleepier Brooklyn. Strapped with a mortgage and talking about having another child, we were settling down, or trying to. That stuff scared me as I'm sure it does most young adults, especially those living in New York, where everything is so preposterously expensive. I was getting along in my thirties. I craved something more. Who isn't charmed by the idea that there are still secrets left in the world? I first learned about the Lost City in the spring of 2008. At the time, I was reporting a magazine feature about the growing Honduran drug trade, The jungles and Caribbean shores of Honduras were considered major transshipment points for cocaine traveling from Colombia up to the United States, and the business had created a healthy underworld economy. I was interested in a particular drug king, who had apparently made a business of killing off the Colombian traffickers at sea, pilfering the cocaine from their submarines or speedboats, then selling it back home. He was said to live on a fortified hilltop mansion above the sea. After months of reporting the story fell apart. One day, I heard that the drug pirate had taken one of his own speedboats out to sea, this time alone without his gun-toting army, pointed the boat south, and never stopped. Stealing drugs as a business hadn't turned out to be a very sustainable long-term proposition. The man had made his score, and now, it seemed, he would disappear. In the course of a phone conversation about the drug trade, though, a former U.S. soldier mentioned the lost city. He had been in the Mosquitia during the Contra Wars to train fighters in what he described as the shittiest, buggiest, shithole jungle in the world. He'd slept in covered hammocks and tents. 
He'd always been wet and scratching his welts. That place was bad, man, he said. He couldn't remember when he'd first heard about the city, if it had been in the bush or at a seaside bar where he chased women. But the stories revolved around the same reports of gold, priceless artifacts, overgrown temples and buildings, and monkey gods. I always thought about going out there to find it, he told me. He had never tried. Some nights, when my wife and daughter were asleep, I sat at my computer in the living room and mapped the Honduran jungle, shooting Google's satellite camera downward, flying over winding rivers and tightly packed trees that made up one of the largest rainforests in the world. I zoomed until the image coming back was one impenetrable swath of green, and my imagination seized on what lay beneath.